So we've been in a series talking about the word of God. This idea that, that God's word written has power, that, it, that it's effective, that it's, it's instructive, um, that it's, it's necessary for our life. And today we're going to hear yet again about this word. And, and I'm so encouraged. <laughs> Pastor Jimmy, and I was talking to our staff about paper Bibles, and he, he was like, I got my paper Bible. So if you've got your paper Bible, if you don't, that's okay too. Just get out your phone. Let's go together. Let's just do what generations have done before. And we're all like, wait, what? Then let's go um, to Jeremiah chapter 23. Now, Jeremiah is in the Old Testament. Again, I'm not trying to be condescending, but if you don't know, because we're, we're going to restart some habits. Jeremiah is in the Old Testament. If you kind of go down the middle, uh, it's, it's right after uh, Isaiah, and it's, which is after Psalms and Proverbs. Jeremiah chapter 23, verse uh, 29. Jeremiah chapter 23, verse 29. Um, we're going to stand together. And not everyone has an ESV, so I'm going to read out of the ESV, and if you've got a different version, you can quietly refer to it yourself, but for the sake of sanity, that we're not all reading four or five different versions, we're going to read this one out loud. Is not my word like fire, declares the Lord, and like a hammer that breaks rocks in pieces? This is the word of the Lord to us. Let's pray. Father God, your word is a fire and a hammer. It is effective it is powerful, it is engulfing, it is not neutral. And Holy Spirit, I pray that this word which you penned by, by the, the, your sovereign power through individuals, God, that it would, it would pierce our hearts, that it would burn away the chaff of unbelief, of sin, of, of un, uh, unrepentance, and that we would be left pure and holy. God, I pray that you would break up the obstinacy in our souls, the, the unwillingness to submit, Lord, the hardness of heart. Would you break that away right now by your spirit, through your word. Lord, do what you do through your word, we pray. We, we ask right now by your spirit, move by your word. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. Jeremiah is a prophet of the Old Testament, and he prophesies a lot of judgment. Uh, what that means is, you know, in the Old Testament, you had God creating, I'm just going to give a quick overview so that we're all on the same page. Uh, he, God created man and woman, and, and they, they grew, and they, they, well, they sinned. Sin enters the world. Not great. God makes provision, gives them clothes made from animals. Therefore, judgment requires death. And Adam and Eve have babies and babies and babies and babies and babies. Things get bad, though, because God tells them to, to spread out, multiply. But they say, you know what, let's, let's get together and let's not do that. And so you have this moment where they're, they're trying to build this tower to heaven to become basically gods themselves. God says, we're not, we're not having this. He confuses their language, and that's where language comes, culture. All these things, uh, people go to various places and talk with the people who talk their own languages. Um, things continue to get bad, and uh, you have various judgments. You have Noah and, and the ark. God kind of restarts things. And then you have Abraham, who is this chosen one, 
He, he was a pagan guy. There was nothing good and great about him. He was actually worshiping the moon, we believe. And, and God, but God captures him, gets him, says, go to the promised land. I'm going to make you uh, the father of many nations. And, and so Abram becomes Abraham, becomes the father of many nations. We, we sang the song last week. Um, it's so hard not to right now. It's in th- if that's not, a, if that's not a, a, an argument for VBS, I don't know what is. Um, um, Abraham fathers Isaac, who fathers Jacob and Esau. Jacob uh, becomes kind of the father of, of all the nations. He has a number of sons, 12, and, or, yes, and, uh, and they become the, the tribes of Israel. Um, they end up growing, and they're told to obey. They don't obey, and you have judges who rule over the nation of Israel. Then you have kings who rule over the nation of Israel. And God makes this promise, actually had made this promise through Moses, that if you will obey my commands, if you will live in relationship with me, then you will be blessed. However, if you don't, you'll go into exile. And so they have these moments of going into exile, and you have these prophets who come along throughout Israel's history saying, don't forget what God said. Don't forget what what Moses, God spoke through Moses. You guys are doing the wrong things. And so here we have... Jeremiah speaking, and he is speaking because there are false prophets who are basically saying, everything's okay, guys, it's all good, don't worry. Lying prophets, you could go through and read chapter 23, and you, you would see that, that God is very displeased with this. And in verse, um, I'll start in verse 23 of chapter 23, it says, am I God at hand, declares the Lord, or am I God far away. In other words, they had been saying a bunch of foolish lies. The prophets had been lying, and God's like, I'm in the room. I'm I'm here. Am I I far away that you guys think that you're getting away with this? Can a man hide himself in a secret place so that I can't see him? This is rhetorical. No, No middle schoolers in the room, so you understand what that means. That means the answer is no, even though he doesn't have to say it, declares the Lord. Do I fill heaven and earth, declares the Lord? I have heard what the prophets have said who prophesy lies in my name, saying, I have dreamed a dream. I have dreamed a dream, and it's from the Lord. How long shall their lies be in their hearts and in the hearts of the prophets who prophesy lies and who prophesy deceit of their own heart? Verse 27, who think to make my people forget my name by their dreams that they tell one another, even as their fathers forget my name for Baal. In other words, they think they're going to, to make my people forget me as they go and start to try and worship another God. Verse 28, let the prophets who have a dream tell the dream, but let him who has my word speak my word faithfully. What has straw in common with wheat, declares the Lord. So he says, you know what? Let them share their, their, their dreams, and, and I'll let my speaker share the word, and we'll see which one comes out at the end. We'll find out which one is strong. We'll find out which one actually carries authority and power. We, we saw a similar thing. Or I don't know if you're familiar, but Elijah comes against, he's a prophet of God. He comes against the, the prophets of Baal and has this kind of interaction with them and says, you know what, you talk to your God, I'll talk to my God. We'll put these two big um, fire pits, basically, and, and we'll see where, which God will start the fire. And so the, the prophets of Baal, they do their thing and, and they prophesy and they, they start cutting themselves and doing all these ridiculous things to try and get their God, who is no God, to do something. And, and, and 
Elijah's mocking them. Maybe he's, maybe he's gone. Maybe he went to, you know, maybe he's at Target. I don't know. What's he doing? Um, nothing happens, obviously. Then Elijah says, okay, well, first of all, let, let's, um, let's, before we try and start a fire, let's fill this with water. Like create a, a, um, cr- create a, a moat around this with water. Two reasons. One of which, uh, he's trying to make it harder. He's raising the bar, right? Fire is harder to start without, with water. We, we all know that. But the second reason was they were in a drought, and so he was, he was pouring this out as a, as a bit of an offering. This is offering to God. We're taking something that's very valuable to us, offering it to God, the true God. And so he does that, and he prays, and what, is hap- what happens? God, he confirms his word. Fire falls down, and also the prophets, they get it in the end. And, and God confirms his word. And here we see a similar thing. What He says, what is chaff? have to do with wheat. Chaff is the part that comes off of a, a, a wheat when you, you break the husk off. That, that's the part you don't want to eat, right? If it was popcorn, it's the part that gets stuck in your teeth, right? It's the part you don't want. And he says, what does chaff have to do with the, the wheat itself? So here we see that he says that God's word is like fire and it is like it's like a hammer. Before we get into what the fire and the hammer look like, I want to ask ourselves, what, what false prophets are we prone to listen to? Because I, I, if I had a, you raise your hand and you were honest and willing, I don't think many of us would be like, you know what? I do struggle with worshiping Baal. I know I, that's not really a thing. So you might be tempted in this moment to say, well, that was their problem, but we're, we're sophisticated people. We're 21st century people. We don't worship idols. But God says that, that nothing has changed in our, our basic makeup. That Adam and Eve, they sinned, and therefore everyone after them is a, what, sinner. And it, and it wasn't like they, it got bred out of, you know, well, this guy's better, and he's better, and we're going to breed it out. You know, in the time of the Enlightenment, there was this idea that if we could just get people smart enough, if we could just educate people, then they would be better. And I am for education. I love there's, there's not a book that I, you know, I'm like, I want to buy that or, or an, a study that I don't want to study. Education is a good thing. However, education does not make moral people. It makes really intelligent, immoral people, which is, is oftentimes worse. You become more sophisticated in your wickedness. We, we've seen that government doesn't, doesn't fix people. Um, Though it may restrain evil, it doesn't fix the primary problem. Uh, we ha- are made of the same thing that these people were made of. And so, so the question is, for us, what, what is our false teacher? What is our false prophet? And I think in the world, we have a great deal of things that would try to claim authority in our lives. Things that would try to say, listen to me and your life will be better. Right? Right? I don't think that they're as common anymore, but the 3 a.m. infomercial, you know, do you need this doohickey? You know, have you ever tried to open a, a banana peel? It was just so hard. You know, buy this for three easy payments of $19.99, and you're like, three in the, three in the morning, yeah, I need that. I, I, I could easily cut my bananas in one move. It's so hard to just peel it. I mean, think of all the time I could save and all the... I could start a second job just by the time safe, and this is all ridiculous, but there are many things in the world 
that try to claim authority over our lives. I mean, we, we, Oprah. I got real quiet. I don't know if you guys like Oprah or dislike. I'm not saying that she's, I'm not saying anything except for when people try to say, this is how you ought to live. And they don't base it on scripture, but they try to say this is definitive. They're vying for the place of a false prophet. You know, it'd be, it's one thing for you to go and, you know, I've had so many parents do this to me, and I'm sure I've done this, where you go and, and they're watching how you parent, and they make a suggestion. What, what have you considered this? That's fine. Let's consider this. But there are others who say, you must do this, and it's not in Scripture. And it, it may be helpful, but what we're doing is we're elevating something to the place of a false prophet, elevating something to the place of, of authority that it ought not to have. Um, there are false teachers. You know, one of the reasons I say read your Bible is because if I say something and I say you have to live this way, but the Bible says, mm, nope, then you don't need to live that way because I am, I am not the ultimate authority. My Bible just slapped me in the face. I am not the ultimate authority. The only authority I have is the delegated authority that the Bible gives me. And so long as I'm consistent with what it says, then certainly I can say, you need to do this. But the moment I step out and say, you need to do this, and the Bible doesn't say it, or the Bible says something contrary, I'm, I've stepped into the place of a false prophet. And there, don't kid yourself, there are those people in the world. Those people who would try to say, if you go to God, he will give you X. False. If you go to God for this, the gospel is, go to God and he will give you a better life. Now, God certainly does guarantee a better life if we trust in him and we, we, we live, a, if we trust in him, but that better life doesn't necessarily mean that, that your bank account is going to go from the red to the, to the black just by saying a prayer. The, the, the better life is a life of promise where we're in relationship with God, which sometimes means he blesses us financially or he blesses us temporally, but many times it means that he, he invites us into suffering in order to cleanse us and perfect us and purify us so that when we do come into relationship with him and, and come into the riches of glory in eternity, we're prepared for it. There are false teachers in the world. Another false prophet in your life is you. <laughs> you know, uh, there, there were those who were saying the words, who, who, who were saying, you know, God is happy with you. The problem with communication is it's, it's a two-way street. It's two parts. You have the sender of the message and you have the receiver of the message. And they were willing to listen. Oh, tell me more about how awesome I am. Tell me about how I don't have any sin. Tell me, tell me all the things about how I don't have to do anything hard and God is going to bless me. They were willing to listen because they wanted to exalt their own will, their own desires above the commands and the words of God. Don't kid yourself, family. We, we are in a precarious situation if we think we're above and beyond idolatry. If we think that we are above and beyond discerning between what is true and what is false by the word of God. That, that's, that's the bent of your soul. That's the bent of my soul is I want to hear that I'm awesome. I want to hear that I don't have to, that, that I don't need the gospel because I can get there myself. 
You know, okay, maybe I need the gospel a little bit. Maybe God, you needed to kind of give me a nudge in the right direction. But after that, I'm going to continue to do it in my own power because I, I'm God. I'm special. I'm awesome. I, God, you made me, and I can do it myself. And God did make you, and he does love you, but that does not mean that we do these things apart from his power and his work through his gospel. There are false prophets. There are false messages, all of which try to distort the reality we live in. And that reality is that we need God, our Savior, that even after after we're saved, after we, we put our trust in Jesus, after we turn away from our sins, that next day, you know what we wake up? We need Jesus. The day after that, we need Jesus. I heard one pastor ask, and he said, to Christians, not to people who necessarily didn't believe in God, but he asked this question, when you wake up tomorrow, how do you know you're going to be saved? Like, how do you know you're going to wake up with a disposition toward God that says, I trust you and I believe in you? Like, what keeps you there? Is it you? Like at the end of the day, are you going to go and, and, and live your life in obedience to God? And on your deathbed, are you going to say, you know, it was basically because of me? Or are you going to say, it was because God kept me? See, this, this, is, the, this is the tension that we live in between trying to think that, that we can get us there versus we need God to get us there. Not to say that we don't work and we don't do things and we don't uh, walk in holiness, that we don't participate in the process of becoming more holy. But justification, this, this moment where we trust in God and then sanctification afterwards, it's always dependent upon the, the work of God. And we see here that, that these prophets were trying to, trying to offer something other than the truth, which was that they needed to trust in God. They needed to respond to God. They needed to repent to God. So how does he respond? He says, is not my word like fire, declares the Lord, like a hammer that breaks rocks into pieces. These are two symbols of judgment, which is kind of a bummer. You know, we, we want, your word is a light to my path. You know, it's a lamp to my path and, and, and it helps me to see, you know, but he says, your word is fire. I don't know about you, but fire is, um, it hurts, right? Um, it burns. It doesn't produce happy things on your skin. Hammers? How many of you guys have just destroyed your thumb just hammering something? There we go. Yeah, a couple of you. Right? It's a picture of breaking something. A hammer is a, it's a cool tool, but it's intended to kind of apply some, what doctors will call pressure. But what is actually usually pain. And And when we look at this idea of fire and, and the hammer, they're, they're symbols of God's judgment. Now, in the life of a believer, that judgment is intended to produce more life. Right? It's discipline that produces life. But for those who don't trust in God, it's intended to judge and condemn the sin in their life. Uh, fire, in particular, is a picture of refining, of separating that which is pure and from that which is not. So God's word, it's, it has the effect of judging and of refining. Yeah, uh, there's a, a famous pastor named Charles Spurgeon. Some of you, you know who he is. Some of you don't. That's fine. He, he was pretty eloquent in the way he spoke and fairly intelligent. And one of the things he says is, 
He speaks of the sun, but it, it applies to this idea of fire. He says, the, the same sun which melts wax also hardens clay. And the same gospel, the, the word that we're talking about, which melts some people to repentance hardens others in their sin. See, this is why this is a picture of judgment because Jeremiah, or God through Jeremiah is saying, there's one of two things that's going to need to happen in response to my word. You're gonna either need to repent or you're going to need to be judged. If you repent, then in the Old Testament, by credit, they were not going to experience judgment because Jesus would experience the judgment. In the New Testament, we don't experience judgment because Jesus experienced judgment. So he says, there's one of two things that needs to happen. God's word, it's not, it's not inert. It doesn't just sit there. It doesn't just lay flat with nothing to happen. God's word will judge us. Whether or not you read the word, it will judge you. You know, uh, if you are speeding down the road and the, the police officer pulls you over and says, you know, you were going 20 over, like, well, I never read that law. Well, that's great. You're still guilty. And you will get the ticket and you will have to deal with it. And, and even though you may not read the law, does, that does not mean that you will therefore not be judged by the law. God's word, it judges and it refines. And I think, I think on some level we can kind of understand that and relate to that. But I wanted to give us a couple pictures. If you go to Luke, that's in the New Testament, chapter 24, it's the last chapter of Luke, Luke chapter 24. I love that I'm hearing some pages being flipped. That's awesome. I ha- I've had to the AV team was coaching me because I got to slow down because if I want you to actually go there in your Bible, I have to actually give you a second to do that. Luke chapter 24. You have this, this account of these guys going to a place called Emmaus and they encounter the risen Savior, Jesus Christ. In verse 13 of Luke 24, it says that that very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened, the, the death and, of Jesus Christ, and how people had said that Jesus would, was resurrected. They're like, oh, really? Verse 15, while they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, hey, what, what's this conversation you're holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still and looking sad. There's a, there's a lot of, as a side note, there's a lot of irony here. Like, we should kind of be chuckling to ourselves to some degree. Like, the Bible is, it's interesting literature. Like, Jesus is kind of punking these guys to some degree, lovingly. Then one of them named Cleopas answered him, Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened in these days? How, as a side note, when he goes to a party, when Cleopas goes to a party, how dumb does he have to feel? Have you not heard about Jesus who died looking at Jesus? This is funny stuff. Anyways, uh, and he said to them, what things? And they said to him, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty indeed, and word before God and all the people. Verse 20, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and beside all this, it's now the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some women in our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back saying that he had, they had even seen a vision of angels 
who said that he was alive. Verse 24, some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see him. And he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets had spoken. Side note, he says, you didn't believe all that the prophets, he doesn't say you didn't believe the women who, who saw me. He says, you didn't believe the scriptures that had been testifying about me up to this point. Right? The Bible is about Jesus. The Old Testament is about Jesus. I don't want to read the Old Testament. It's boring. It's about Jesus. And therefore, it's about your salvation. Okay, side note over. Verse uh, 26. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. So Jesus gives them a Bible study. Pretty awesome. I mean, if you're, you know, if you want to know the Bible, it might not be bad to learn it from Jesus. I'd be cool with that. Um, and we see here that they, they get taught by Jesus. Okay, keep going. I'm going to skip down to verse 32. Uh, they said, so Jesus teaches them, then they realize, oh, it's Jesus, and Jesus disappears. Verse 32, they said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? They had experienced the fire of the word of God as it was being explained. And my, my hope is that, that you've experienced that, so you kind of have a kind of an experiential uh, sense of what I'm talking about, that there are moments where if you will engage with God's word, honest and open, with your heart ready to receive whatever he has, there's, a, there's almost a physical manifestation, a sense of a fire, you, your skin gets hot, you read something and you're like, yes, that's true. I remember uh, in, in early 2000, um, maybe seven or eight, I had gone through a, a period of time, you know, I grew up as a, a for the most part, I grew up in a Christian home. I was baptized at seven. Really kind of had a faith, I think, pretty early on. Had some dips in high school, but, but had a trust in God. So there was not like this, this crazy moment where, you know, I stopped doing drugs and, you know, selling guns and things like that. And I came to Christ, right? That, that, that's not me. But I had, so I had an, a, a familiarity with who God was. And yet, sometime in in early 2000, or mid to late 2000, the 2000s, like seven or eight, I, I just became convinced of, I had, a, I had a, a weird, dire, vivid sense of the idea of hell. And I'm not going to get weird with you, I promise, apart from saying that that happened. But I was reading scripture and I was reflecting on scripture and I was listening to pastors talk about God's grace in salvation and how nothing uh, is as a result of your effort and, and how God loves us and he graciously brings us into salvation. There's, there's nothing we can contribute. And I was just thinking about how had he not moved on me that I would have been lost forever. Had he not moved on me then I would have been helpless to avoid his judgment forever. And we say forever, and we're like, yeah, that's a long time, but just meditate on that for a moment. That's a long time, and then it keeps going, and then it keeps going, 
and it doesn't stop. That was, that was, that was me. And yet God, by his word, he brought life. By grace, I was saved through faith. And this was not a gift of my own. Or it was not a doing of my own. It was the gift of God. Not as a result of works that, that no one may boast, that Eddie Barnes may not boast. I'm quoting out of Ephesians chapter 2. The word of God did something. It opened up my eyes to see and hear. And there was, there was a fire that I felt for a period that, that even, I remember sitting at, at one um, sermon where the, the pastor was preaching about the gospel, about the, the unmerited favor and the, and the grace of God to, to save sinners. And, and I remember trembling because I understood at a deeper level that if it were not for Christ, if it were not for Christ, the hammer would come down. They had this moment, this Emmaus Road moment. In 2 Kings, which is in the Old Testament, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, Ruth. No, that's not right. Joshua, Judges. First uh, and Second Kings. Or Je Samuel. First, we're going to do this together. Good gracious. Joshua, Judges. It was Ruth. Should have gone with it. Seven-year-old Eddie was right. Okay. First and second Samuel, then first and second Kings. We're going to go into second Kings. Come on now. 22. We're, we're almost there. Josiah is this young man who takes the throne. First and second Kings is, is really a, a, a record, a narrative record of the various kings that, that take over Israel. And most of it is like, uh, he did bad. He did what was right in his own eyes. God judged him. He died. He did bad for longer, invited a lot of idols into the nation, and God judged him and he died. Josiah is one exception to that. He comes and he was eight, year old, eight years old when, hey, kids, Josiah was eight years old when he began to reign. I forgot about that. Um, he, was a, he was a good kid, and probably his parents were pretty okay too. Um, his mother, I think. He did was right. He, verse two. He did what was right in in the eyes of the Lord and walked in all the ways of David his father and did not turn aside to the right or left. So that is him. Verse eleven says this. They, they actually end up finding the Bible. We'll, we'll say. Some say it's Deuteronomy. Others say it's the Torah. But but they rediscover the Bible. They had been living and and behaving in, as a nation and they had lost God. And this is a theocracy, right? This is a, a nation that's supposed to be ruled by the rules of God. And they had lost it, and, and so they come across this, they're, they're, they're working in the temple, and they're like, oh, what's this book? And oh my goodness, it's the Bible. Verse 11, when the king heard the words of the book of the law, he tore his clothes. And the king commanded uh, Hilkiah, the priest, and uh, Ahikam, the son of Shaphan and Akbor, the son of Micaiah, and Shaphan, the secretary, and Asiah, the king's servant, saying, Go, inquire of the Lord for me and for the people and for all Judah concerning the word of this book that has been found. For great is the wrath of the Lord that is kindled against us because our fathers have not obeyed the words of this book to do according to it all that is written concerning us. He, there was a response. He heard the word of God and he, he was the king. He was the one who was supposed to enact all of these things and make sure they, make sure they happen, right? If, if you're a leader, you are held at a, at a higher level of responsibility for the people whom you lead. We know this. 
This is why it's important to hold leaders to a higher standard. Because, because they're responsible for more. So he realizes, I am responsible for Israel who is in really apostasy. We, don't, we have not followed God. We have disobeyed him. We are in rebellion against him. And there are clear judgments coming to us. The hammer is going to fall down if we don't respond. And so he, he actually does try to respond and he brings about reform. The, the word of God demanded a response. In Hebrews, which is in the New Testament, I'm not going to do Genesis. <laughs> Just look in your, uh, your uh, table of contents. Um, in Hebrews, chapter 3, verse 14. That's not right. Oh, it is right. Chapter 3, verse 14. For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end, as it is said, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts in rebellion. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts in rebellion. The writer of Hebrews is saying, you've heard God's word. You must respond. God's word is fire. It's intended to refine us. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. Those are not just words that we put on a, on a you know, a two by, or one by four and put in our kitchen to, to be, you know, fancy Christians. It's not intended to be on your mug, right? The Ten Commandments, I'm so thankful that, you know, they're in courts expressing that God's justice needs to be served, but, but they're not intended to be decorations, they're intended for us to hear and respond to. Insofar as, as, as I can, can explain and, and expound upon and, and open up this word to you, this word today is God speaking to you. I'll say it again. Insofar as I can open this, not my words, not like, hey, green is the best color because it's my favorite color. That's not God's word. But if I say to you, God tells you to love him with everything you have and to love your neighbor in a sacrificial way, that carries the weight and authority and demand of God himself. And though I speak it, God will hold you accountable. God tells us in the Ten Commandments how we are to relate to him. To, to love him and serve him alone, not to have any other uh, idols th that we express our obedience to God by coming to church on Sunday, by, by uh, not working or trying to, to earn things and, and not trust in his provision. He tells us that we ought to express our faith and our love to him by, by loving other people, by not committing adultery, by not murdering, either in reality or in our heart, by not coveting. These are words that God gives us not just so that we can recite them, but so that we can live by them. God's word is fire. It is a hammer. How do you respond, how do you respond today to God's word? How, how can you respond? My encouragement to you would be to first obey the gospel. And I say it that way because it, you know, it's, it's, it's weird. But there's, there's a, 
We obey the gospel by trusting in Jesus, trusting in his life, his death, his resurrection. God, who became man in Jesus Christ, lived a perfect life that you and I should have lived, died the death that we deserve, bore the, the wrath of God, received the hammer, rose again, defeating Satan, sin, and death, and vindicating himself. We trust in him. We don't trust in ourselves to bridge the gap between us and God. That's faith. That's what we do. And then we ask ourselves, what else has God said? Now that I am a a follower of Jesus Christ, now that I trust him, now that I love him, what can I do to express my love? I got married in 2006, and I gave Mary a ring when we got engaged, and I gave her another ring when we got married. And that was, that was my pledge of faith to her, that I would be a particular way. Now, the ring didn't constitute the relationship. The ring was evidence of something that had gone before. And then after that, I, I want to confirm, and I have not done it perfectly, but I want to confirm my love for her. And, and, and in a healthy relationship, neither one of us is trying to say, what can I do to earn your love? But we are, we are overflowing in this relationship where my love for her is being poured out in ways that I express, and her love for me is being poured out in ways that she expresses And when we read this word as followers of Jesus Christ, we're invited to pour out our love in obedience to him and show him that we love him. It's It's not earning anything, it's not meriting anything, but it is an expression that I will obey you because I love you. The word of God is a fire and it is a hammer. And today, family, Today, we in, I, I invite you to respond. Today, will you respond? Let's pray. Father God, we love you. We thank you for your faithfulness, your goodness to us. And we ask for you to move in us. God, I pray that this word would become real to us, that, that each of us would, would get a, a physical even sense of who you are. Lord, that, that we, would, we would be impressed not just by words, but there'd be a fire in our heart that burns, that helps us to recognize this is real. Jesus, would you speak to the hearts of the people in this room? Would you break away the, the, the clay, the stone of unbelief and unacceptance? Lord, make us willing followers. Do what only you can do, God. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Love you, family.